Welcome to City Watch, a watchdog program for social, economic, political, cultural, and public health issues here in New York City. I'm happy you're with us. I'm your host, David Brand, and I'm in the studio maintaining an appropriate social distance from my co-host, Jeff Simmons. I'm about six, well, about six feet away now. Yeah. We, we, we wiped things down with uh, uh, disinfectant wipes when we sat here. Um, obviously, we're all focused on the latest developments in the COVID-19 outbreak, and the, the news is coming fast and furious right now. Uh, one part of life that the illness and the attending anxiety are affecting is transportation. That's always a contentious topic. We have a great show today focused on public transit with top MTA official Mark Holmes and two lead transit advocates, Juan Restrepo, the Queens organizer from Transportation Alter- Alternatives, and Stephanie Burgos Veras, the campaign manager with Riders Alliance. We will discuss riding the roads and rails during this time of coronavirus uncertainty. And we'll be chatting about massive plans to overhaul the best bus network in each of the five boroughs, an initiative that's now targeting Queens to, I think it's an understatement to say, mixed reviews. Our guests have a lot to say about the plan, the problems, and how to improve public transportation. Uh, after our first guest, we're going to go to a news segment with our own Celeste Katz-Marsden talking about some of these wild big, big, if, issues. big developments that are, that are uh, popping up as the mayor is holding a press conference. Uh, the coronavirus has us changing or rethinking all of our daily behaviors, from traveling to work to stopping at a bodega for a bacon, egg, and cheese, to realizing just how many times we touch our face. This also has us thinking about our daily commutes and whether we should even enter the buses or the subways. So far, public transit... Uh, will remain open. The government, the governor and mayor have vowed to keep it that way. I spoke with someone from the MTA earlier who said it will be service as usual. And Jeff, you took the subway here today, right? Only three people on my subway car. It was incredible to see the drop-off in ridership and also walking through downtown Brooklyn. Very few people. Yeah. And you could, we're looking out the window right now in Atlantic Avenue, you see very few people. A lot of businesses are closed. The coffee shop below us, Commons Cafe, is, is closed. Um, people are starting to take this very, very seriously. Uh, I, I think, you know, anyone who's waited 30 minutes and watched seven out-of-service Q54 buses pass by knows that transit problems, though, go far deeper than the current COVID-19 concerns. The buses kind of stink. In December, the MTA unveiled a 434-page plan to fix many of those problems in Queens and make the system more efficient. Uh, erasing every current line, and as the MTA puts it, taking a, quote, holistic, clean slate look at bus service in each borough of New York City to better match service with current and future demands, unquote. That plan would reduce the network from 82 to 77 local lines and 30 express lines and create a more efficient system with less duplication of service, uh, better north to south lines, uh, better connections to LaGuardia Airport, But it's also been framed as a zero-sum game because there is no additional money for service. So improving service in some places means removing it or worsening it in others. For example, the MTA would remove weekend express service to Manhattan from northeastern Queens. Uh, Jackson Heights is losing several lines. I think think that's something that affects you, Jeff. Uh, Since unveiling this, the MTA has been getting a lot of feedback. They've they've been hosting dozens of community events. so have local groups and local elected officials. It's the biggest overhaul in U.S. history, and many of the lines have not been changed in about a century. So it's, it's, it's surely something that is necessary, but maybe the way they've gone about it has been a bit of a problem. Uh, I had an opportunity to speak with New York City Transit Department of Buses Chief Officer Mark Holmes to learn more about the motivation for the overhaul, how the MTA will incorporate the intense public feedback that they've been receiving into the revised plan, and what this means for the rest of the city moving forward. And here's that interview. Holmes, what was the motivation for this massive redesign, and what was the community feedback like prior to the MTA releasing the plan? So, um, you know, our, our now departed uh, uh, New York City Transit President Andy Byford committed to a total re-imaging of the bus network, and part of that was a borough by borough. Uh, complete up to up and down overhaul of the bus networks in each of the five boroughs. Queens is unique in this regard uh, from the standpoint that Queens was uh, 
not only has lines that were drawn decades ago, some upwards of 60 to 70 years old, uh, Queens is also the result of five different uh, bus companies or, or bus networks, if you will, that have their own territories. Uh, MTA bus assumed operation of those private bus companies in the mid-2000s. But although everything's now operated by the MTA, that old network still exists. Uh, you know, the, the, the historically old uh, network still exists that we operate. Uh, the bus network in Queens generally feeds customers into three uh, different hubs, Flushing, Jamaica, uh, and Long Island City. And you can count Jackson Heights as, as, a, as a fourth. Uh, and from there, they fan out into the surrounding neighborhoods from those hubs. Um, since then, Queens has evolved. The demographics of the borough has, has, has uh, evolved. Uh, just the face of the borough and how people travel, where they, where they work, where they go to school, all of that has changed since the 1930s and 1940s. So it was needed, the, the, the bus network, we had to take a close look at how the bus network serves the uh, Queens of today uh, versus how it did back in those early days uh, in the mid-20th century. How does New York City Transit President Andy Byford leaving affect the commitment to the plan? It doesn't. We, we, we are going forward with what he set forth. We, we fully bought into that, and there's, there's no change. This is a customer-led initiative, uh, and we are committed to getting it right. He said this bus overhaul is pretty unprecedented. It is, it is the biggest network redesign in the country, if not the world, that we're undertaking. Immediately after releasing the plan, the MTA encountered some pretty fierce opposition from everyday commuters and elected officials. I asked Holmes how the MTA could have avoided that backlash or better engaged customers. Well, the, 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 the plan that was released in December was a draft plan, it, it, and that's all it was. It was a draft. It was nowhere, we're nowhere even close uh, to presenting a final product. But let me take you back to how we got there. Uh, outreach for the Queens redesign started uh, back in April of last year. So. We, we rolled it out. We went to our elected officials. We had a, uh, a meeting at the uh, Queensborough Hall with the borough president and, uh, and, and the Queens delegation. And we, uh, we announced that we were going to overhaul the bus network, have a network redesign, and explain the reasons why, as I just did to you. Following that, we had several, several outreach events throughout the borough where we, um, we appeared in uh, throughout the borough giving out information, encouraging folks to uh, go to our website, fill out surveys. We handed out uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of flyers and brochures announcing the redesign and announcing how they, uh, folks can participate. Uh, internally, we've had uh, network drawing sessions uh, that included our union partners, our partners at DOT, as well as our our, our partners in, uh, in in our road operations who manage bus service every day. So we've um, we had a pretty robust process leading into the redesign process, and uh, and 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 the result of that was the draft plan that was introduced uh, in late December to, like you said. Uh, less than positive reviews, which we're fine with, which we're fine with. I mean, that this gives us uh, an opportunity to go back to the drawing board to um, make sure that we put together a customer-led initiative. And this is what this was supposed to be from the beginning. One specific area where the bus plan got a lot of criticism was in Northeast Queens, where the MTA decided to cut much of the express bus service there, and that's an area that is not served by the subway system. Holmes discussed the thinking behind that decision. Well, the express bus service in those neighborhoods, we retain those, the, the peak hour service for, for, for those customers. Um, the um, After the peak hour, traditionally, uh, bus ridership on those express buses uh, drop off dramatically. Um, and we took note of that, and that pretty primarily went into our decision to alter 
off-peak bus service, if not remove it altogether. Uh, again, this was a thought process. It is not final, and, and we, are, we have heard our customers' concerns with that decision-making. And again, we're, we're going back to the drawing board with it, when it comes to uh, uh, express bus as well as local buses. But uh, a lot of that was governed by, by ridership and the fact that um, express bus service is highly, highly subsidized. It's our most expensive uh, form of, uh, of bus uh, service that we operate. Jackson Heights residents were also upset because the plan called for removing bus lines that connected with wheelchair accessible subway stations. Jackson Heights was our first um, uh, that we've undertaken and it was our definite loudest. Um, we, we've heard about the need of um, our decision making when it comes to routes such as the Q49 and the Q30 for the community that we will do so. We will take it fresh stations recognizing uh, the need and the to maintain an accessible network. The MTA will be incorporating these criticisms from Queens residents into the revised version of the plan. Hearing some of the concerns of our community and of our, of, of our riders that we go out and see, um, we have committed to taking a fresh look at some of those decisions that were made uh, that would, like I said, go ahead and um, and, uh, and, and impact our decision-making going forward. Holmes said there's no official date for when the revised plan will come out. Coronavirus has definitely complicated that by canceling meetings and potentially pushing the timeline back. Well, that's now a fluid situation. We, we've had a, an idea as to when that would be. Um, it will be sometime in the early fall, I would suspect. However, with the situation that we're in right now with events being canceled and and uh, the timeline possibly being shifted to the right, we're, we're, we're not quite sure uh, where we are, but we, we are looking forward to releasing a revised uh, plan. And since this will be happening in all five boroughs, I asked what can our listeners who live outside of Queens expect when the MTA comes to their boroughs? Uh, the same thing. They, they can expect a customer-led initiative where we're, where we're committed to listening to our customers, finding out how they use our bus network, what they like about it, what they don't like, and, um, and, and, and like I said, be committed to listening to them. Will the MTA conduct the same process in the other boroughs, completing a draft plan, presenting it to the communities for feedback? That, that is going to be the process. Uh, we will release a draft plan. We will receive feedback. The, the, you mentioned completed, and that isn't true. It is not completed. It is just, a, it's just like you took a sketch and uh, you said, okay, this is a draft. This is what I'm thinking. It's not finished. What do you think? This is nowhere near finished. We have no implementation date set. Uh, this is just the ground floor of a process. Uh, nothing here is set in stone and nothing is set to go forward. So, yes, uh, we, we intend to show our customers what we're thinking and get their input on that, some of which I, you know, we hope they like and some we know they won't like. And that was New York City Transit Department of Buses Chief Officer Mark Holmes in conversation with my co-host David Brand. Uh, we're going to get back to transportation in just a little while. But first, we want to bring you the fast-moving news of the day. Here's a report from R. Celeste Katz-Marston. You're listening to WBAI New York. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. Here's the news. New coronavirus screenings have led to bottlenecks at U.S. airports. Travelers coming into the United States through 13 American airports are undergoing enhanced entry screenings, including examination for symptoms of COVID-19. That's leading to long waits at checkpoints. Dr. Anthony Fauci, head of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, told CNN Sunday that he understands travelers' anxiousness to get home, but he's still concerned about the crowding. Unfortunate that that's not what we like to see, but human nature is human nature. People should realize if you are an American citizen, if you are a permanent resident, if you are a relative, you can get back into the country. You don't need to get back right now. You can pace getting back. 
but we're all humans. We all are afraid. I mean, and it's understandable. I'm not criticizing it. Somehow we need to mitigate that because that putting people in crowds like that is not helpful. Separately from Fauci's remarks, President Donald Trump addressed the situation in a tweet saying, quote, we are doing very precise medical screenings at our airports. Pardon the interruptions and delays. We are moving as quickly as possible, but it is very important that we be vigilant and careful. We must get it right. Safety first. In New York, public schools in the city will close early this week in an effort to contain the spread of coronavirus, while schools in Westchester, Nassau, and Suffolk counties will close for two weeks starting Monday. In a statement announcing the closures, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo said the city must develop a plan within the next 24 hours to ensure children who rely on school breakfast and lunch programs will continue to receive that support and parents, especially critical health care workers and first responders, will be provided access to child care as needed. Cuomo and New York Mayor Bill de Blasio had been under pressure from teachers and others to shut down the city's public schools. American Federation of Teachers President Randy Weingarten, among others, called on officials to order the school system closed to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Cuomo has ordered non-essential state workers in New York City, Westchester, Long Island, and Rockland counties to work from home starting Monday. Cuomo also urged private businesses to consider voluntarily closing and letting employees work from home. He said mandatory closings remained on the table if businesses chose not to cooperate. I want private businesses to aggressively consider work from home and voluntary closings. Uh, depending on what businesses do on a voluntary basis, we could consider mandatory actions later on. We've already taken mandatory actions. No large gatherings over 500, 50% of legal occupancy of a facility. That is a mandatory way to reduce density in the workplace. As of Sunday afternoon, New York had more than 700 confirmed cases of coronavirus, the highest of any state in the nation, according to the Washington Post. Cuomo said the state capitol would close to visitors after two state assembly members representing Brooklyn, Charles Barron and Helene Weinstein, were diagnosed with the virus. For WBAI New York, I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. Now, back to City Watch with your hosts, Jeff Simmons and David Brand. So, as you can tell, Celeste is on top of the news. One other development that has now happened is that it's now being reported that the mayor said the schools will close as of tomorrow and possibly then stay closed until at least April 20th. And yet another development, uh, Mayor de Blasio has canceled the special election for Queensboro president. And this is actually the second day of early voting, and several people have already cast their ballots. So, we're wondering what that means for those people who already voted, when the next date will be, uh, if there will be a special election at all, I guess, because there's going to be just the regular primary in June. And this was going to be our topic next week with yeah. the reporter in here. So we're going to readjust and figure out uh, if we want to delve more deeply into that or might do another topic because the news is happening incredibly fast. Fast right and now. furious. I mean, every few minutes there's something new. And this is, uh, I think, really an unprecedented, overwhelming time right now. Uh, we are shifting our focus back to transit and to the transit overhaul in Queens in particular. We had my interview with uh, MTA official Mark Holmes, uh, who is, is leading the bus, uh, the bus redesign plan and is in charge of the buses. He said we can expect the revised plan in the fall, but the planning process has been complicated by the coronavirus shutting down meetings in town halls throughout Queens. And not only just shutting down meetings in town halls throughout Queens, we just learned that an MTA official... Uh, has tested positive for the coronavirus. Uh, he is the first reported person to test positive among the agency's workforce of 71,000 people. So this news just broke uh, a little while ago. For the, the Daily News reported it. So like we said, news coming fast and furious right now. Uh, to Joining us on the phone, however, we have a top transit advocate, and that's Transportation Alternatives Queens organizer Juan Restrepo. He's on the phone to discuss what Holmes had to say uh, what some of these new developments, especially the coronavirus, means for commuting in Queens and means uh, and throughout New York City, 
and what that means for equity in the transit system. Just to give a little background about transportation alternatives, their mission is to reclaim New York City streets from the automobile and advocate for better bicycling, walking, and public transit for all New Yorkers. Juan himself is a powerful voice when it comes to transportation in New York City. He was even recognized as one of the 100 most influential people in Queens in the last city and state Queens Power 100 list. So, Juan, thank you for joining us today on City Watch. Uh, thanks, David. Hey, Jeff. Good to hey, meet guys. you. Good to meet you. I'm very familiar with transportation alternatives uh, going back to when I first came to New York City. So very valued mm-hmm. organization. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate the accolades. And thank you for going through the resume. Um, I, I try not to talk about it much. <laughs> well, that's a, hey, that's a big one. The, Queen, the Power 100. I think we're all uh, we're all gunning for that. Uh, what yeah. did you think of what did you think of what Holmes had to say in his interview about the plan and about welcoming the feedback? It's great to hear. I think the MTA has been working diligently to take in a lot of this um, energy that's coming out. I, I would I would be proud to say that, um, you know, a lot of the advocates at Transalt and in the broader sort of Jackson Heights community really kind of started this discussion about what an adequate um, bus network redesign um, was going to look like. And I think um, the MTA uh, a lot of times gets this uh, this this uh, descriptor of being like this faceless organization, bureaucratic, and they've been receptive. They understand that people are very unhappy with the current iteration. Um, Jackson Heights sort of started the call saying, hey, we need um, local service as much as we need connectors to transit. And then you had people in eastern Queens who were saying, hey, we need um, – we, I know it's a very heavily subsidized program, but the express buses to Manhattan are still important to us, and they uh, are important for us to live car-free lives or um, have those transportation alternatives. Um, so um, when those comments are made and when the final plan is revealed, um, we're really going to see if it's going to be something substantial enough to make um, the advocates and the residents and everyone who makes our transportation system successful happy because at the end of the day, um, we need that funding. We need people to want to use the system if we're going to keep on making it better over time. And you mentioned making a, a, a more car-free environment. So right. one of the criticisms about eliminating the express bus service in Northeast Queens is that more and more people are going to turn to their cars to uh, to travel. Is Tell us more about that. something I hear a lot. Yeah, yeah, this is something I hear a lot. There, there, you know, East Queens has some of the longest commute times in the United States, not even just New York City, like the United States. I think Queens in general has some of the longest commutes in the United States, hmm. and East Queens in particular, uh, because it's so far from the central district, because if you're driving, you're oftentimes competing with other drivers coming in from Long Island, Um you really have um, slow buses that have a lot of local stops, and you have to take those buses to the train system. I know quite a few people who do double bus followed by a train or um, a, a long bus ride along Union Turnpike followed by the train, and they finally get to their destination, but it's an hour and a half later, hmm. two hours later. So um, some of those people who maybe have a little bit more money, um, they opt for, uh, for an express bus. Um, I heard from somebody who... Uh, has kids and for them having that one seat ride where they just bring the Mm -hmm. kids in they don't have to wrangle them through the buses and then through the subway stations make sure they don't lose them at any point they just sit them down in the express bus it was very important for that person um so that's just a consideration for this plan and um i'm sure the mta is also facing the other consideration where some of those uh bus rides are subsidized by fifty dollars um, hmm. It's definitely a delicate dance um, with priorities on both sides, kind of tussling at each other. It's, it's kind of the big, the big debate that we're having. Really, um, the way someone described it to me was uh, uh, the bus network redesign because it's revenue neutral. Is this fight where um, you're giving from Peter to give? To, you're taking from Peter to give to Paul. Hmm. And the zero um, sum game. I think it's how people right. frame it. Right. Right. Um, and I think if there's one thing everyone can agree on, it's that more funding for the plan would make the lives of the MTA and the advocates and everyone um, working on this in some way happier. So just to, to shift 
uh, discussion a little bit. What are you hearing from commuters and members of uh, your organization about commuting in the time of coronavirus? Is that keeping people away? Is that driving more people into their cars? So the interesting thing about the people that I work with who are in my network is that um, many of them uh, would consider themselves um, uh, avid cyclists. It's a term that a lot of people use. You know, they ride a bike a lot, oftentimes for commuting. Maybe they do like a recreational ride. And they have this option for them uh, because they've been doing it for so long. And we're just starting to see this sort of newer population who's discovering the bike, uh, if you will. The last time mm. this happened on a mass scale was probably Hurricane Sandy, where a lot of roads were just not accessible oh, yeah. for cars anymore. And train lines were down, so people were taking bikes. And this is a, a pretty big opportunity for people who consider themselves um, maybe not car users, but just like they've been using uh, trains and buses a lot, and now they're afraid of the coronavirus. So mm. um, they've been maybe opting into some like informal bike trains that have been popping up through the city. They've been finding that random free uh, bike helmet that they got from the city mm. at one of their like little handouts. Um, and they find like that raggedy old bike that they have in their garage or taking it out. Um, they're trying it out, seeing how it is. Um, and then you have the sort of desperation move where you have to, like, actually go into the system and potentially um, infect yourself. And I think people are trying as hard as possible to do everything to avoid that. You know, this is what the city has been saying. Like, walk if you can. Bike if you can. These are safer options for you. And unfortunately, while it's safe from a public health standpoint to encourage people to walk and bike, if the city is not... Uh, adding in emergency uh, bike lanes or uh, emergency measures that will make walking safer, um, there is a bit of a lack of, of response. Yeah, that, you yeah you, you yeah. mentioned the safety and that concern. And so I, had, I rode my bike into the studio today from mm-hmm. my home in Queens. And mm-hmm. I, as soon as I got off my bike, parked my bike, I looked at Twitter and I saw someone had tweeted a story in the New York Times that Spain and Italy right now are banning bike travel and actually finding people who are on their bikes, uh, saying that if they get into an accident and have to go to the hospital, that strains the health system and keeps people uh, and I guess prevents treatment and resources for people who are undergoing treatment for coronavirus. So what what do you think of that plan that they're doing in uh, Italy and Spain? Is that something we might see here? (laughs) Um, I hope not. That that sounds horrible. It sounds like they haven't, you know, built in their infrastructure to anticipate something like this. New York City, thankfully, has the Vision Zero program and has been working to make biking safer. Um, I, I we think that the most uh, important thing the city needs to do is just to encourage that. Actually, that in fact, you have to just make it so that 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 effect where in Italy and Spain the streets are so dangerous that people are getting killed does it happen so we have to respond to that as well um we should just be worrying about uh preventing covid and the best way to do that is to just build streets that uh promote safe cycling Um, so so Juan, um Mm -hmm. looking at all of the coverage of the bus redesign plan i just want to go to one point that kind of stuck out for me mainly because of organizations i've worked with over the years is there has been a lot of criticism over the rerouting that would take people that would take riders to subway stations that aren't compliant with the ADA right. with the Americans with Disabilities mm-hmm. Act and one of those uh, is actually a few stops from me the uh, the 61st Street Woodside station uh, that services right the seven train, and uh, there's the other one uh, I believe it's Queensboro Plaza. There's concern about that. You know, do you believe that the MTA is legitimately weighing this as a concern? Do you think that they will get those stations to become compliant before rerouting the buses? The way I see it is that if a second draft is released and it does not address this issue, which advocates have been paying increasingly more attention to year after year after year transit center has been on top of this issue releasing so many great pieces of um of videos and 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 data on how important accessibility is and how much new york city has lagged behind making their stations accessible i don't think the advocates would let the mta get away with that i think the mta has been hammered on this point seven line just how crucial that connection at 74th was because it brought all the buses to the accessible train station. Um, 
and Street and, and all the other stations that don't have accessibility. Um, if, if it's not there by the time the network is rolled out, you, there will be came across as something that wasn't negotiable. So hmm. um, we'll kind of see when that moment happens. FM City Watch streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm your host, David Brand, joined by my co-host, Jeff Simmons. We're on the phone with Juan Restrepo from Transportation Alternatives talking about uh, the Queens Bus Network overhaul and commuting in the time of coronavirus and transit safety, whether that's cycling or taking uh, the subways or buses. Um, we'll take your calls in a bit. But Juan, we have a we have a few more moments. Uh, how can people learn more about transportation alternatives? Learn more about your work, your advocacy, and even get involved if they want to weigh in on the the, the bus network redesign. Sure. Um, so, if anyone wants to learn more about transportation alternatives and the advocacy work we do, empowering New Yorkers to uh, advocate for more safe streets, and that means if you're walking, you're biking, you're using mass transit. Um, highly recommend you check out our website, uh, transalt.org, T-R-A-N-S-A-L-T.org. Um, you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and you can see all the different things we're doing. Obviously, we've, we've kind of slowed down a little bit because of what COVID's happening and so much of our work is outside, mm. but we, we do quite a bit to make our streets safer for walking. So it's actually uh, affecting the advocacy. That's That's an important point, too. Yeah, I think it's slowing down everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, sorry, what was your other question? Uh, yeah, just, you know, if people want to get involved and want to add their name to petitions or want to find out about upcoming yeah. community events where they can make their voice heard, how can they do that? It, on the website, there are plenty of links that uh, show you various campaigns we're working on throughout the city. We're grassroots and we focus specifically on um targeted campaigns and you can learn more about that through the website we also have monthly meetings um i organize two committees out in queens and we do um specific actions in queens related to the safe streets messaging um so definitely check it out well juan restrepo thank you so much for joining us and uh everyone make sure that if do check out transalt.org uh find out a little bit more about the queens bus network redesign and advocacy around public transportation and street safety. Thank you very much, Juan. Thanks, David. Thanks, Seth. Uh, we have another top transit advocate on the phone with us today as well. Her name is Stephanie Burgos Veras. She's a campaign manager for Riders Alliance, an organization that, according to their mission statement, fights for reliable, affordable, world-class public transit in order to build a more just and sustainable New York. Riders Alliance organizes subway and bus riders to develop grassroots power across racial, economic, and neighborhood lines. They hold our elected officials accountable, they engage the public, and they take direct action to guarantee that riders have a powerful voice in decisions that affect us. Stephanie recently organized a rally with a few local lawmakers in Jamaica, uh, Jamaica, Queens, where she called for equity and frequency in the bus system. And we, we look forward to talking with her about that. Welcome to City Watch, Stephanie. Hello there. Hello, everyone. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> yeah, thanks for joining us. Welcome. And, yeah, thanks for joining us amid uh, the nonstop news that we're uh, getting hit with right now. But I think this is really important because commuting affects all of us, and it's something we're all either biking, driving, or riding the, the roads and rails on the buses and subways. Um, tell us about the call for, in your words, equity and frequency in this bus network plan. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, so. We, you know, as you mentioned, we released a, a like a seven to eight page document um, in response to the first draft of the Queens Bus Redesign, and we called for uh, equity um, because when you take a look at who bus riders are, um, we see that um, you know, as a whole, you know, in, in the city, seventy five percent of bus riders are people of color, um, and fifty percent of them are immigrants who are on average making. Um, $28,000 a year. Um, mm. And when you look at who the riders are in um, you see that around 80% of bus riders, um, so higher than the citywide average, are, are people of color, are immigrants, um, and are making roughly um, $27,000 a year. Wow. So when we call for equity, we're really calling to ensure that these are the communities that are getting service. The, the, the riders who don't own a car, um, the riders who 
depend on buses and public transit to get around. Um, so that's a, a big component, right? We want to make sure that we're not forgetting who this bus is, who the like, who who needs to be impacted by the service, and then frequency, right? So a big component um, about buses and, and why they don't even work now is because of frequency. So you know, we looked at at, at you know the data, and right now, and you know, a big thing that Riders Alliance has been focused on is local buses. So when you look at the 97 local buses in Queens, only 10 are considered high frequency throughout the midday. So that means that they're coming eight minutes or or more or or less. So that means that 87 routes throughout the midday are com- are coming at least every 15 minutes, right? So those are the two things that we really focused on because um, right now, tons of riders are spending 15 minutes or more waiting for a bus, and when you sprinkle in traffic and all the things that you find in New York City streets, uh, people could be waiting up to 30 minutes for a bus, which is, um, you know, just, uh, which, you know, should not hmm. be the status quo. We should not just, that should not be something that we, um, MTA should consider um, good service. And so reliable, accessible public transportation is definitely an issue of equity. Um, and we see right now in uh, conversations about what to close down uh, because of the coronavirus, uh, that, that becomes an issue of equity because so many people uh, are working and they have children who are going to schools. The schools are closing. They need place to go. But people who are working also need access to transportation. And so do people who are seeking uh, medical treatment, medical assistance. So talk about that. Well, how, does, how does keeping the subways and the buses open right now relate to equity well i mean i think i think you that's exactly it right it's about the the people who um can't stay home from work right being able to work from home is a real luxury um and we know that there are a lot of people especially those who are working in the public sector um can't work from home right our doctors our teachers our our janitors people who make our city move um and sometimes those are the folks that are working in hourly jobs who don't they don't have a car don't have you know an extra thirty forty dollars um, for to take an Uber to get to work. Um, so it's extremely important that our public transit system is working during these times because the folks that can't um, work from home are mostly are most likely to be the folks um, who are lower income or people of color. So um, unless we like completely shut down the city, um, I don't think we can completely shut, you know shut down our transit system. What are you seeing out there right now from members or people connected with your organization? Well, I mean, I think, um, you know, it's a little bit, you know, we're still kind of talking to riders right now, but, you know, we know that our seniors and the people who can work from, who can work from home are staying home. Um, And we're trying to kind of hear from our, um, from people who have to take transit, but, you know, they're nervous and they're scared and they're, you know, walking around with hand sanitizer and, and gloves and, um, you know, there's just a sense of fear right now, and, and we want to make sure um, that New York City Transit is doing the, all that they can do to ensure that our buses and subways are clean, and um, they really have upped their sanitation um, efforts right, by doing it twice a day and every every 72 hours. Um, and so, you know, we think that the MTA should continue to do that to make sure that all folks that have to take the subway and the bus um, are entering a, a, a space that is that is as clean as possible. What could this current crisis mean for uh, the long-term plans for the transit system? Oh, God, that's... <laughs> well, I mean, there's a huge component here, and I think that's not just for transit, but across um, across um, all sectors is, is funding, um, right? So 40% of the MTA's um, operating budget comes from fares. And we've seen around... It's you know, the numbers are changing, but around 18% decline in ridership. And so that will impact the operating budget. So I know you were just speaking to Juan about the Queen's Bus Redesign. Mm-hmm. And a big component about that is um, is funding, right? Um, the MTA right now is experiencing an operating deficit. Um, and so this crisis will um, further, you know, make it worse, Um or the MTA. So there will be some real challenges um, in the upcoming years or just like later this year in terms of the kind of service we can provide riders if they have an operating deficit. 
And then if, you know, if the state, which funds the MTA, is also experiencing a $6 billion uh, deficit, hmm. they won't be able to fill that gap. Right? So this will have a lot of trickle-down effects, hmm. um, to not just to our transportation system, but New York State as a whole. Well, Stephanie, we just have a few more moments. Uh, how can people yeah. find out more about your work, about Riders Alliance, and get more involved in the fight for transit equity? Absolutely. So people can visit our website, um, ridersny.org, um, and there they can sign up. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Riders Alliance, and as well as you know, follow us on, on Facebook um, and Instagram, all at, at Riders Alliance. Um, and you know, this Tuesday, we'll you know we're still moving forward. You know, we know that everyone has to be home, but we're having virtual meetings on Tuesday. Hmm. Uh, for people who live in in, um, in Brooklyn and the Bronx, we'll have a virtual meeting, and we'll have a virtual meeting for the folks that live in Queens um, next week, um, in place of our actual like monthly meetings. Um, so people can go online and sign up um, and join our Google Meets, or they can just call in. Um, so that's how people can stay updated, and um, folks can also text um, uh, Bus NYC to five two eight eight six. So that's B U S N Y C. The five two eight eight six to stay updated with all um, bus related um, issues in Queens um, and other uh, things that we're working on. Well, Stephanie Burgos Veras, campaign manager for Riders Alliance, thank you so much for joining us. Joining us on City Watch, we look forward to following more of your work and uh, people get involved. Visit uh, ridersny.org. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. Have a good one. So as uh, David and I have been telling you, there is a lot of news that's going on today. And earlier we mentioned what was going on with your city schools. Transit system is not shut down at this point. Uh, but in some sound that our Celeste Katz Morriston provided us with, you'll hear what the mayor said just a short while ago. Let's play that clip. You're listening to WBAI New York. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. Here's the news. New coronavirus screenings have led to bottlenecks at U.S. airports. Travelers coming into the United States through 13 American airports are... Okay, apparently that was the wrong clip, so we're going to see if we have that for you. But we also, while we're looking for that, we have had a few people calling in uh, to weigh in on what has been said so far during the show about the MTA and about the Queen's uh, bus redesign plan. So, Max, do we have a caller on the line? We do. Great. Let's go to the first caller. Welcome to WBAI. What is on your mind? Hi, uh, this is uh, Jim Burke. Uh, Hi, Uh, Jim. uh, Hi, how are you? As you know, I've been working very hard in getting the word out about uh, this Queen's bus redesign. Uh, Myself, with a team of local activists, hands out about 15,000 flyers letting people know about their changes, um, mostly in Jackson Heights and in, and in the Rockaways, uh, so we can make sure that everybody has a chance to weigh in. Uh, and we've also talked to hundreds of passengers. Uh, we did like a, from 7 to 9 before work, went to every single bus stop, for example, on the 249, the 232, mm-hmm. 233, and we spoke to people about what their feelings were. We also went to senior centers, uh, we went to many, just, just every civic centers, uh, just to get the word out because we were afraid, as you heard on uh, your first guest, they get out hundreds, maybe a thousand, uh, when they did this first outreach a long time ago, uh, to, to develop this. Uh, so that means, you know, that people just didn't know, hmm. uh, and they're, they, to, to give their opinion. And this particular bus redesign is devastating, uh, for some neighborhoods. Uh, as some of your early, uh, earlier guests alluded to, uh, because it's rather neutral, they're taking away from like a transit-rich, bus-rich area uh, like Jackson Heights uh, to maybe give another neighborhood a bus. Um, unfortunately, lots of people decide which, where to live, where to put their children in school. Uh, schools decide <laughs> what, uh, how to zone their schools based on the transportation network, and particularly the buses, because you might put your child on a bus to go to school, but you're not putting your child on a bus to uh, go to the subway, then to take another bus. 
So what what do you think of how the MTA has responded to some of your advocacy and uh, what they have been hearing at many of these public forums? Uh, they're getting a lot of criticism, a lot of vocal criticism. Uh, how, how have they been responding? Um, I mean, we, you know, Craig Cipriano and Mark Holmes uh, and, and before that Andy Byford uh, said they were listening. Uh, you know, uh, they said they heard us. You know, our biggest complaint was that this is subway centric and also uh, very trans- transfer heavy, meaning if I want to go, say, from Jackson Heights to Rockaway Beach, now I take one bus under this bus redesign. That would be three buses. Uh, if I'm an older person or mobility impaired person or someone with a stroller, uh, instead of bringing me to the hub, which has elevators and escalators, it's going to bring me to my local station. And that station has no elevators, has no escalators, and is not even in the next five-year program <laughs> uh, to have them. So this is very subway-centric, and it had it took nothing and, and account for uh, accessibility. And so, Jim, I want to thank you for giving us a call. We've got other calls that are coming in right now. Uh, and uh, I appreciate you giving a call on the, uh, uh, calling us on this at WBAI. Thanks a lot. Sure. So you are listening to WBAI 99.5 FM City Watch with host David Brand and Jeff Simmons. We're going to bring you that clip now that's a less sent in of the mayor's remarks just a short while ago. Let's play that clip. So I regret to have to announce that as of tomorrow, our public schools will be closed. In other words, to all parents who are hearing this now, there is no school tomorrow, and we will be suspending our public schools until after the spring vacation. And I'm going to say this very precisely. We will make a first attempt to restart our schools on Monday, April 20th. But I have to be honest that we're dealing with a lot of unknowns and a lot of challenges. And uh, we understand how difficult it will be to achieve that goal. But just so everyone has something to organize their thinking around, our first attempt to reopen the public schools will be on Monday, April 20th. I have been very honest about the fact that there is a real possibility that by closing our schools now, we may not have the opportunity to reopen them, reopen them in this full school year. So we may actually have to go out for the whole school year, which is just extraordinarily painful for, for our kids, for our parents, for our educators, for so many people. And the notion of a school year being disrupted in this fashion, I have no words for how horrible it is, but it has become necessary. And that was Mayor de Blasio talking about the school closures that will begin tomorrow. Our phone lines are open if you would like to weigh in on this or about the MTA's Queen's bus redesign plan or what you think the city or state should be doing regarding our transit system right now. Number 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. I wish we had another hour for the show, but we've only got about another five, six minutes, so we will take your calls. Of course, if the next host wants to give up his hour-long slot for us. <laughs> no, no, we're not going to do that to him. Uh, 212-209-2877. So, a lot of news today, yeah, wow. right up against our show. I'm glad that Celeste was monitoring for us. Yeah, she is just unbelievably great and still cares deeply about this station and this show, which I do want to then give a little plug. And why does she? Because once you get involved with WBAI, we never let you go. <laughs> so you can always call and pledge to us at 516-620-3602 or go online uh, to give to WBAI.org. Any thoughts on, on the interviews today and also some of this breaking news? I mean, you're well, you're, you've got a young child, not old enough for mm. school yet. Yeah, he's in daycare, and so that makes it it's 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 challenging. Like, what uh, what do parents do? And it makes me think about parents who really depend on school as a place for their young children to go. Especially, we had our guest Stephanie Burgos Veras talking about uh, equity and just how many people are are earning less than thirty thousand dollars a year, and so they need to work. And what are they going to do now? When not going to work could mean not paying rent and their children are going to be home. So Very good points. I'm so sure it's on a lot of people's minds tonight. Let's go to take a call. I've got uh, only a few minutes left. Welcome to BAI. What's on your mind? Uh, 
Hi, this is Steve in New York City. Two things that I've noticed really quick, and thank you so much for WBAI. What a wonder. Um, thank you. Police are not wearing any facial masks, number one. Number two, uh, no one is talking about why the children are so resilient, not immune to the virus, but resilient. There is no discussion on this. That is really curious. I guess number three, we see a lot of chemtrails in the sky. And my experience over the past decades is within three days of chemtrails, people get sick with sore throats, runny noses. It won't take you out. It won't get you bedridden, but it'll sure make you at some point visit the doctor's office where you could get very sick. Okay, thank you so much for your show. Thank you. Steve, thanks so much. And actually, that's one point of the three he brought up is something that's been on my mind, too. Why are we seeing this so disproportionately striking the elderly Uh, not the, I mean, I'm sure it has a lot to do with immune systems, but not affecting as many kids. Although, uh, I believe I had read earlier today that there was another case of a student in a public school, uh, who had tested positive for coronavirus here. Yeah, I think a student in Woodhaven, Queens, and they initially were going to deep clean the school and then reopen it tomorrow, but now that's all moot. But yeah, I wonder if that's just the matter of, uh, older adults are the ones presenting with the most severe symptoms, so they're the ones who are actually getting tested. Uh, getting access to tests, and so it kind of skews disproportionately higher among uh, the rate among older adults. But I, it seems like we could all be carrying this illness, and that's what's really freaky, and I think is uh, it's scary. I think the face of this city, you know, I'm just looking at the city right now, the face of this city, the landscape is going to significantly change by the time this is over. Just in talking with uh, the head of the Queen's Chamber of Commerce earlier today, he indicated to me about a number of the businesses that are suffering to the point that they don't know if they're going to be able to rebound. Let's take another very brief call. Welcome to WBAI. Got you briefly. What's on your mind? Hey, uh, so regarding the coronavirus school closures, um, like I just wanted to say that uh, that's a horrible idea, closing the schools, because the kids, especially high schoolers, um, are not going to have anything to do during the day, hmm. and so they're, they're going to find something to entertain themselves with. Are and you a, are I you went, a student? Uh, uh, no, uh, I'm 30. But um, I you sound to, like a student. Uh, you sound young. <laughs> oh, <laughs> all right. So I went to elementary school, middle school, and high school in New York City, and let me tell you, um, a lot of like criminal activities went on in high school. Um, you know, like drug selling. Um, like there were some bad kids. There were obviously many good kids, but there was a lot of like bad eggs as well. So um, those kids that aren't going to school, like they're going to find something else to occupy their time with. Yeah. And um, so I think that's pretty scary. Like, well, they they say know, they, idle hands are the devil's tools, and uh, I guess maybe that's another important uh, component of school. Is just having people doing constructive work and being involved yeah, in constructive it, it, programs really, can be it very hard. The, um, the kids busy so that they're not like out on the street harassing people. Well, we we have to, we have a few more calls coming in. We have to wrap up, but we thank you very much for your call and and for your perspective as a former public school student. So I want to thank our callers because we are going to have to wrap up the show. And uh, I'm glad that we were able to get to the Queen's Bus Redesign Plan. Next week's show, obviously, we'll discuss what we're going to do. I want to thank our guests today, New York City Transit Chief Bus Officer Mark Holmes, uh, Transportation Alternatives Queen's Organizer Juan Restrepo, and Riders Alliance Campaign Manager Stephanie Burgos-Veras. Of course, our surprise caller, one of the advocates, Jim Burke of uh, My Neighborhood in Jackson Heights, Queens, and also the amazing news correspondent, uh, Celeste Katz-Marston, for her news of the day, but also providing us with that clip from Mayor de Blasio announcing about the school closures. I will be back this Thursday, might be doing it remotely, but I confirm them again on Friday. Congress members Carolyn Maloney and Yvette Clark by phone will be joining us as well, and then David and I will discuss next Sunday. Yeah, the... Uh, special election for Queensboro president has been canceled, and that was going to be our next show with a fantastic reporter and friend of mine, Maya Kaufman from Queens Patch. So we will rethink what that show is going to be like, but we look forward to you joining us again. Thank you for joining us today. Make sure you wash your hands, stay safe, stay, stay healthy, and we will see you next week.